Hey everyone, this is Jason, and thank you for joining us for a special bonus episode of Searching the Sacred. Before we get to this bonus episode, I wanted to let you know two things. Number one, thank you. Thank you for going on this journey with us. Thanks for joining this community, for being a part of it, for listening, for liking, for sharing, for subscribing to this podcast. It has been really fun to see people engage this material, and it's so great that many of you have circled back or started going to scripture circles with 40 Orchards. And we love hearing those stories of people that have heard the podcast and have either circled back to a scripture circle or have started going for the first time. Secondly, we are starting a Patreon page. Patreon is a site for people to give a monthly donation for the work of a podcast or other creative endeavor. And so you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can search searching the sacred and then sign up to become a follower and to donate on a monthly basis that could be as small as one dollar a month five dollars a month ten dollars a month or more whatever you think works for your life and for the work that we're doing we would appreciate any support that you can give us so that we can continue to put this podcast out there and to continue to do this work we are grateful to do it if you're curious about an easier way to get to this site we will have uh, a link in the show notes So be sure to check that out. And as a special bonus for all of those that sign up to become patrons, we will be sending out a PDF on how to host a Seder meal. So Steph and Lisa have put together this great outline, this great PDF on how you can make and host a Seder meal. So thank you for being with us on this journey. Thanks for being a part of this community. And we look forward to much, much more. Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Steffenhagen. I'm Steph Spencer. And I'm Lisa Adams. We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious, doubters, and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions. Questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt. Questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to Searching the Sacred. We are excited to be bringing a bonus episode your way This is our first opportunity to have a guest joining us on the podcast. So not only is this a special bonus episode for Holy Week, but this is our first guest joining Lisa, Steph, and I. And that special guest is none other than Nathan Fisher, who is out in Berkeley, California. So Nathan, tell us a little bit about who you are and kind of what brings you to this conversation today. Yeah, for sure. So first off, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, quite an honor. Um, so I am currently out in California. I'm finishing up a PhD program in religious studies. Um, I kind of focus on uh, different contemplative practices, mostly different uh, sort of comparative mystical traditions. And what brings me here is, uh, yeah, I've been involved in uh, study for about, yeah, 20 something years, um, have always found it to be tremendously nourishing and enriching. And um, uh, yeah, Steph and I met maybe six or seven years ago and uh, had the great privilege of getting to do some study with her over the years. And yeah, just excited. I always love just being in a room, studying with people, you know, from different perspectives and uh, seeing what emerges. So excited to be here. Well, it's definitely an honor to have you and we're excited to see uh, just how this conversation unfolds as they always do. We, we don't always know what direction it's going to go and what voice is going to uh, have an effect on the trajectory of it, but we're glad to have yours as a part of it for others to learn from and for all of us to be able to learn from and experience. So thanks for joining us. And Lisa is going to get us started because we are going to be diving into Mark chapter 14. Uh, I'm reading from, it's the Jewish annotated New Testament, but it's also like also known to us as the new revised standard edition is what they're using. 
So it's Mark 14. I'm going to read 12 through 16 and then 22 through 25. Um, we're skipping a little bit of a chunk, um, mostly because that's a lot to read. So here we go. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is my guest room where I might eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples set out and went to the city and found everything he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. While they were eating, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, gave it to them, and said, take, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and all of them drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I tell you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Okay, here we are. Um, I, I don't know, I always, I like to start these sort of conversations thinking about our own traditions maybe and what comes up. These sorts of passages have a lot in them for us. Sometimes they're passages that we're super familiar with. Sometimes we're just familiar with things that have popped out from them. So in the Christian tradition, this is sort of the basis for Eucharist, which lots of denominations handle differently. <laughs> um, so it almost feels like it has some sort of contentious history before we even start the conversation that I'm, I guess I just want to name and wonder, like, what do we think and feel when we read this passage from our own histories? I think when I think about my tradition, now I'm noticing like, oh, we always start with verse 22. <laughs> like that's what's read every Sunday. Like we're always just, we start with 22. We don't do the other we don't talk about the other things. Um, it is a weekly remembrance. Mm. Yeah, I think that would be my reflection too a little bit is the same in line with Lisa that we're not really putting it in the context of the Jewish scriptures and grounding it in the Passover. We're mostly grounding it in kind of the new covenant idea. And, and then also it just is so familiar that it's almost like you just say it and then it just kind of, you move to the next thing. So it's almost like, like an, almost like a nothing, you know, it's like what we do. And so I, I, it takes effort almost to like get into it because it's just so normal to have heard this. It's kind of like celebrating Christmas, you know, it just happens all the time. Uh, so it's, it's hard to be like odd and, and blown away by it because it's just, there so much yeah i would say um so i grew up uh jewish although not in a particularly observant uh family and came to more observant forms of judaism later in life and uh although my dad was christian so uh, we grew up you know going out to celebrate different christian holidays with with my dad's family and going to church and um when we'd be with them and uh, so I obviously have some different associations, but actually one of the things in just reading this now um, that I never quite realized was that like, you know, according to Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, right? Like drinking blood is actually forbidden. And I went back and saw you know, some of the notes here. And that, that idea had just never crossed my mind. Like, you know, that there was this kind of novel movement um, in terms of this particular, part of this ritual so uh anyways not i don't have much more beyond that but it just kind of jumped out at me today and then i saw it here in the footnotes too yeah well and i mean that's a good place to sort of notice like when things are familiar we sometimes have forgotten how odd they are right, right. like it is an odd thing if we were sitting at a, a dinner and someone raised the cup of wine and said this is my blood drink it <laughs> like what would we like no matter like context of the Hebrew scriptures or not, that's a weird thing to say. And I would so love for a bride or groom to do that to one another on their wedding day. Like, this is my blood. Drink it. We're now married. Right. Well, that, I mean, there are people that are doing that kind of stuff as part of their like dating relationship stuff. As weird as it is, it's also not 
Okay, it's not ever happened to me or in my frame of friends. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to wonder, like, what circles are you running in there, Lisa? Well, I guess, I mean, there's some fringy people I know. Is this like an Angelina Jolie thing when she was with Billy Bob Thornton, like carrying around a vial of blood as a necklace? Angie and I are friends. <laughs> well, speaking of that context, let's start with back in verse 12 of Mark 14. Because that's giving us a whole bunch of context that this is all rooted in that we can start to explore. So what is it in verse 12 to be on the first day of the of the Feast of Unleavened Bread? And what is it to be at the time when you kill the Passover? Um, so what do you mean by kill the Passover? <laughs> yes. So um, this is uh, it doesn't say the word lamb even though our NRSV wanted to say the word lamb. Um, verse 12 doesn't say lamb. It says, uh, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, the disciples said to him, where will we go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? So in neither case does it actually say lamb. It just says Passover. So what we're drawing on in the Hebrew is Pesach. So that's the Hebrew word for Passover. And that tradition of Pesach, takes us first to Exodus 12. So maybe we flip there. Exodus 12, verse 21, um, also has this language. And actually in verse 20, it says, eat nothing leavened. So it's going to connect us to this idea of unleavened bread. And then in Exodus 12, 21, it says, Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said, draw out and take a lamb and kill the Pesach. So once again, we have a lamb, but we have what's being killed is the Pesach. So I'm just pausing for a minute. <laughs> Take that in. I want to phone a friend because I like, you want to kill the festival? You want to, it's like, is, a, is, that, is it like the title of the lamb? Like, so you're like substituting that? It implies lamb or I don't know what that means. Right. Okay, good. <laughs> that becomes our starting point is even sort of recognizing there's like, there's room for us to dig into the question of what all this means from the beginning of the tradition, from the beginning of Exodus 12, there's some room for questions and exploring what does it mean to kill the Pesach? And is that the same or different than sacrificing the lamb? So Pesach means, um, it's the verb means to spring over or to pass over. It's connected to the idea of a, of a lamb because it's actually the action now, like want the video. <laughs> We're talking about the video early. It's the action of like a springing lamb. Like if you can kind of picture a lamb bouncing, it's Pesach, the way that it bounces or springs forward. That's the action of it or, um, or to hop. What does it mean to kill the springing, the hopping? Why doesn't that have a, why doesn't that have a quick answer? Because <laughs> you don't normally kill things that you want to honor or that you're trying to celebrate. Like you don't normally associate killing with a good thing. You know, like I could imagine, say, like it's christmas right or something i could imagine saying something like take in christmas like don't don't get caught up in like all the little details and don't miss the big thing that's happening take it all in but i would never say that and say hey you know what you should do kill christmas because that would tell me to like i don't know go protest the use of the word christmas in like a department store or something stupid right but i would never say kill christmas i would say take it in so i wonder if like i i'm, I'm actually more curious about the word kill than I am the the lack of the word lamb or something more specific because killing just always comes across so negative as opposed to absorb, take in, appreciate, uh, remember in its fullness. I mean, that's kind of how I would imagine the Passover mm -hmm. or wanting to celebrate the Passover, not killing it, you know, and, or even, you know, and I get in the, the first instance in Exodus, of course they're going to kill the lamb because the instruction is to put the blood on the doorposts. So killing it makes sense, but 
now we're not doing that. Now we're, we're remembering it or taking it in or something. So I'm thrown by the word kill there and, and just, yeah. Wondering what's really going on. Mm -hmm. And remember will be the word that's used later. Like remember becomes a really key word to all of this. So we're, we'll kind of wrestle, I think with both or like, what are we really doing at this moment in time? So let's, let's first, let's say, okay, where are they in Exodus 12? The people have been enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt, Mitzrayim, which means the narrow place. All of these plagues have happened as a way of sort of getting, helping them find freedom um, and to let Pharaoh, have Pharaoh let them go. So picture the Bible, picture the movie, the 10 commandments, whatever you want for that part. And we're at the final plague. And so one of the questions for us is to say like, how is this moment different than the moments have come, that have come before? What about this one is going to free the people? When the, uh, the frogs didn't free the people, <laughs> the blood knot in the Nile didn't free the people, this one is going to free the people. Why does this one work? Why does this one the last one? What is happening in this Passover moment? So, I mean, a, a couple things come to mind, actually, a lot of things come to mind, but uh, <clears throat> I mean, for one, I, growing up, you know, in hearing like kill or slaughter, you know, A, the whole ritual sacrifice thing was a little bit hard to get my head around and even more hard to like derive some contemporary meaning, right? That's like very far from uh, how I ever have celebrated any religious holidays. Um, but so for one, it became helpful to think like, okay, sacrificing, there's, you know, a couple different sacrifices. And when we normally think of sacrifice, it's like a giving up of something, right? But not all of the sacrifices are actually like that, right? So some, it's actually just like, use this animal actually for a feast, right? That actually you get to partake in, right? Some are just the priests, some are... So that's the whole different thing. It's like, you know, sacrifice, but like make use of this thing in this holy context, right? So that's one shift that always, I sort of need to like step out of and then step back into in just like trying to, to wrestle with some of this stuff. Um, on a slightly different direction, the other thing that jumped out at me too is that at the beginning of, you know, 23, it says that, God will pass through to smite Egypt or something like that, right? Which is the verb avar, which is also where we get the word ivrit, right? Um, a, a Hebrew. And to be a Hebrew is to cross over. So here God becomes a Hebrew or a crosser over. And then he pays, he, um, and then he, he, pass over the entrance or will hop over the entrance too um so and maybe maybe we don't really want to go down that rabbit hole too but just um you know there's a lot there's a lot of different sort of imagery around passing over jumping over crossing over crossing through um that's sort of echoing through this passage too so i'm not sure if that's helpful or not well, it brings forward like how many different metaphors exist at these at these threshold moments, right? We've probably had threshold moments in our life where we might start to throw a whole bunch of language in of like what it feels like to be at that moment because it's so poignant, it's so full, it's so hard to even describe in the right way all of the things that are happening when everything's about to change. Yeah, and, and it's so movement oriented. You know, what I heard you saying, Nathan, is like all this crossing, passing, leaping, jump. I mean, it's just so much action that's happening. Whereas sometimes rituals and religious traditions can feel so stale and kind of like fixed. In this, we have a lot of, you know, momentum and we're moving and, and there's, you know, I, I mean, and we can dive into all the, you know, have the bread be this way so you can pack it because get, you know, pack your bags, get ready to go. And, you know, there's such, there's such a momentum that is exciting at some level that we've kind of, we kind of lose very quickly when we formalize it and put religion around it. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of wondering, like, <clears throat> because I think of 
the Passover lamb, like I attach it so much in thinking about the killing. I'm wondering about what it's like, what if it's the reminder before you even start that this isn't going to be an ongoing action? Like God isn't going to always need to pass over the doorpost. Like God is doing like the, the action is like before you even start and do the thing, it's like this reminder that it'll be something that doesn't like it's not that you're doing the action so God continues to cross over. It's that you're doing the action the one time. Mm. I don't know if that's holding where my thought is, but I just like why would you why would you begin with like kill the thing that you need God to do? Okay. Oh, 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 there we go. <laughs> you're beginning by killing the thing that you need God to do. Like there's something in here that's that has a different sort of choice, right? So one of the ways to think about Pesach is um, it's a word that's going to come into play later in First Kings 18. We don't have to flip there because I want to stay in um, uh, in Exodus 12 here. But in First Kings 18, Elijah has a pretty famous uh, showdown on Mount Carmel between him himself and all these prophets of Baal. And he says to the people, how long uh, will you Pesach? between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And so there he's using this action to say, how is the human action of hopping about not making a decision about who God is? And back here in Exodus 12, 21, the people are told to kill the hopping. Because what are like, what hopping have they been doing? Like, well, wanting to serve God, but like, that's scary. If you're like, who wants to walk away from Pharaoh? Who can stand up to Pharaoh? Who can make a choice that you feel like your choice is death or death? Okay. At really recognize, like really empathetically, we can say they haven't really had to be all into the plagues yet. Moses has been doing it and they've maybe been sort of watching Moses do it and be like, oh, <laughs> do we really think this guy's trustworthy? Do we really think God is freeing us? Like, eh. how is Passover a shift? What are they having to do? Go. It's now go time again. to go. It's a go. It's now time to go. Right. And how are they showing that they're ready to go? Packing their bags, making the bread different, putting the blood on the door, killing the lamb, like all of it. Well, it's a, it's a huge deal. Like if I think, listen, if I suddenly decided I was putting blood on my door, like, I don't think putting blood on your doorpost was like a tradition. Right. This is an all in moment. One way to think about killing the Pesach is there, they cannot hop from one to the other anymore. This is a moment to declaration. Is God really going to save us or not? I believe in it so much that I am going to kill a, a lamb, which is precious to me and my livelihood. And I'm going to mark my door because I am all in to this being true. There's no hopping there. I'm not hopping anymore. <laughs> so if we just pause right there and take that moment and that, that idea of like hopping from one thing to the next, almost like being non-committal, right? Like I'm not willing to commit. And so when the writers of the New Testament frame Mark chapter 14 as let's go kill the Passover, one way of hearing that is let's kill all the hopping around, non-committal. Let's get serious about our faith. Let's get serious about our way of doing this. And then Jesus comes and says, let's get serious about this new, this, this covenant. Let's get serious about this way of being in the world. And here's how we initiate that. I'm going to die, right? And you can participate in this new way of being and so let's not hop around with all the other options in a way that feels like a big leap though like from what we were just saying <laughs> well if, like, if the whole like, idea is I that we're like, killing on, the Jason, hopping i feel like you like i don't know like i don't know if we're to the new covenant part yet <laughs> like okay, I not, to... maybe not to the new covenant part yet but if but if the if the if the initial passover moment doesn't have the word lamb in it and we're saying kill the passover at some level, you could just say we're killing the hopping. We're killing the non-committalness of this moment. So whatever's been going on, we're putting an end to that, just like they did back in Exodus 12. They put an end to all the indecision, all the non-committal. Now we're, this is the moment. Like, are you ready for the moment? And, and, and that moment is going to be, obviously, 
the Eucharist leading to the cross, resurrection, all that. But like, this is the moment. Like, are you ready for it? Except that this is a practice that has been done over time for, like, I mean, if I read it through what I've been taught, like if I read it through the things that I know about Easter, then yeah, that like, that tracks. But if I'm like pausing and going like, Jesus hasn't done none of that stuff yet. So like they're celebrating Passover, like every, like everybody is like, if this is the first day of Passover, everybody's gathered together in Jerusalem. Like it's a festival where we all get together. There's like, everybody's celebrating it. And what I don't, it? Okay. it's not new language. Okay. Hold on. We're going to, and we're going to, I'm going to pause your argument for a second. We're going to go oh, to Deuteronomy. We're having so much fun now. <laughs> we're going to go to Deuteronomy 16 as a way to say, okay, there's a moment in Exodus 12. That's a moment and it becomes a tradition. Okay. And Jesus is engaging in that whole line. That's where Lisa was taking us. So let's look at some of that tradition according to the words of Deuteronomy 16. Does that help? You, you can still say more if you want to say more, Jason. Well, of course I want to say more, but I mean, no, we're going to do this Deuteronomy thing first. How are going to Deuteronomy? <laughs> hey, Nathan, welcome to Searching the Sacred. <laughs> I love it. This this is the kind of study that uh, that gets me going. <laughs> We also haven't really talked, and Deuteronomy 16 is going to take us here a little bit, is to say what's happening here. So we have, once again, I just want to name that we don't have the word lamb in Deuteronomy 16. Um, there's still, we can still wonder about what this does and doesn't mean, but the word lamb is not in Deuteronomy 16. Is that what you're nodding about, Lisa? Yes. I just, like you don't pay attention like it is one of those things you just insert automatically and it doesn't mean it's not lamb it just also means they're not choosing the word lamb here so it opens up questions so this is where we say in hebrew the words not used in the hebrew scriptures are meant to help us ask questions <laughs> just as much as the words that are used so does that mean this is a lamb does it mean it's more than a lamb does it mean it's not a lamb because it's not tying it directly to the word lamb here in other places, there are reasons lamb comes into play. Like it's a, they, obviously they do kill a lamb in Exodus 12 because they put the blood over the doorpost. So it's not that that's coming from nowhere. It's just the question of what are we doing and what are we remembering in this festival? So in verse two of Deuteronomy 16, therefore sacrifice the Pesach to the Lord. But now here it says of the flock and the herd. So we're still tying it, but it's, indirect but it's not necessarily a lamp if it's from the flock and the herd mm -hmm. right i mean i'm just saying there's a little looseness there there's a little looseness that we can play with and wonder about um let's look at verse three and play with the bread for a little bit because we have that mark too so as like jason's trying to get us forward <laughs> let's let's lay some foundation for the unleavened bread so verse three, Deuteronomy 16 lays some foundation for the unleavened bread. Um, for seven days, eat no bread with leaven because why? Because you came out of the land of Egypt in great haste so that all the days of your life, you will remember the day of your departure. What's, what's in that tradition? Why remember the unleavened bread? Um, I don't know about that, but I'm thinking it's interesting, um, that it's remember the day, like, remember, cause there's some ways like that. It's not just remember that you left Egypt, remember all the things that came with it. And so part of that has to do with, um, like the hopping, it has to do with like, so bread, I mean, mine says bread of affliction. Um, so there's something very particular about this bread that I need to remember, like why, like that bread should do something for me. Hmm. And the thing it's supposed to do for me is to remember the day when you came forth out of the land of Egypt. But if we're reading the book of Deuteronomy, that's a problem. You're not out. <laughs> Well, who's the well, you? I mean, you're out, but you're not out. 
Yeah. Well, and who's the you in Deuteronomy? Where did they, where were they born? In the wilderness. So Deuteronomy speaks to the second generation, not the first generation, which means the audience of Deuteronomy 16 did not literally come out of the land of Egypt. So they can't literally remember the day they came out, but they're being spoken to as if they can literally remember the day they came out through the eating of the bread. I don't think I knew that. The Deuteronomy was the second generation. That is fascinating. Well, because the Deuteronomy is Moses's last sermon before they cross into the promised land. And it's the second generation that crosses into the promised land, not the first. So right, right. No, I totally get that. Yeah. I just, I just, I just did not, did not, it did not. Right. Which is, right. Which is why this starts to bring us forward into Lisa's question of like, how, what is this tradition? Because the people that are doing this tradition hadn't literally been Egypt in Egypt. They were in the wilderness, but they're still having Passover and they're still being told to eat unleavened bread and to remember this affliction in this day um, and all, all the things with it. Well, it's helpful to know what the bread of affliction tastes like. Like in, to engage your whole body in a remembering is really helpful to remember. Mm-hmm. And it's a different taste. It's not what you would choose. And in some ways, like the wilderness isn't like a freaking joy ride. Like, it's not like it's just, you know, like there's something about, like, it's not that they remember Egypt, but they remember something. And even think of generational trauma, like generationally speaking, there is something that lives within that remembers. Nathan, I'm going to feel free to bow out of this question, but I'm curious on your interaction with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, because I think for most of like that's less familiar to many people outside the Jewish tradition. Like we kind of maybe grasp Passover a little bit, but this idea of seven days without leavened bread is much more distant. Um, could you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. I mean, um, <clears throat> I think I have, um, there's been a, a sort of a trajectory of my engagement with uh with Pesach or with Passover and, and this festival and, and understanding it different ways. And honestly, some years, some words or themes kind of like shine a little bit brighter than others. Um, I mean, one of the thing, one of the dimensions of the holiday that's always spoken to me was matzah, this word for unleavened bread, uh, coming from the, the Hebrew word like to drain out. And one way to, you know, begin to connect that to our own experiences is kind of, you know, what, what gets drained out is, is everything that's not essential, you know, for, the, for there to be some product like to consume, right? So it's, it's really about identifying or one of the ways that I've found it to be meaningful uh, during this time is is starting to think seriously about like okay what what is essential to me in my life in this season like what are the essentials what are the you know sort of non-negotiables and what are the things that like you know maybe I'd rather not uh, dispense with or, or be able to engage with but I could you know like what what's actually crucial to me where you know where does my heart really lie? So, um, so I think that's one piece, maybe just to throw into the conversation. And you know, the feast of calling it the feast of unleavened bread is calling it the feast of, you know, just eating what's absolutely essential um, to you, and you know, and wherever you find yourself in your life at this time. Hey everyone, it's Jason, and we're going to continue this episode in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to let you know about a quick opportunity that 40 Orchards has coming up during Holy Week. So on Wednesday, April 13th, from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., Steph and Lisa are going to be hosting a Holy Week Scripture Circle focused on the Last Supper. So if you've been enjoying this conversation that we're having today, take it to the next level and be either in-person or virtual with 40 Orchards. We will have a link to this in the show notes. 
or you can go to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org and then click on study and you'll be able to find it from there. So thanks again for joining us for this special bonus episode. Make sure you check out 40orchards.org for all the different ways that you can continue to study the scriptures. Now let's get back to the episode. How often do we have the experience in the modern Western world of being drained down to the essentials and marking? What do I actually need? And what do I think I need? And what is it to have an embodied experience of that, of eating some, I'm, I'm, one, one tradition I'm going to connect it to is, um, you know, a lot of Christians during Lent practice some version of fasting. And for a lot of t- people, it's sort of a game to play of like what counts as a fast or whatever. And one of the more meaningful fasts I ever heard of was a friend of mine who during Lent gave up spice. And for, for the entire season of Lent did not salt, pepper, sugar, basil, anything, because you don't actually need it on any of your food. And they said it was the hardest fast they have ever done because when you take away the extras, food is real different experience. And that took away the pleasure of all the food. Seven days feels much more realistic to me than 40 for Lent. I might prefer the the matzah and draining out than 40. But yeah, what is... Like, what does that do in us to actually wrestle through the extras and the essentials and to give things up for a while? Well, to me, there's like, you know, there's a couple ways to look at this. Like one, individually, it, it kind of recalibrates or, or reconnects you to a bigger story and to, it reminds you that you're not meant to live in excess. You're, you know, like it, the world doesn't operate you know, with, with that kind of trajectory, you know, if all of us are trying to be the biggest and the best and the whatever, like that creates hierarchy and it creates distance. And we see that throughout history. Also, I think of it from like a, like less of a individualistic standpoint and more of like as a, as a communal standpoint, like what would it mean to collectively not live in excess? Like if, if like as a community, we, we thought of it that way. And so in seeing this as a communal holiday or a communal time of remembrance, as opposed to individual, because I think in the, in the Western world and in, in many iterations of Christianity, it's so individualistic. So it's like, what are you fasting? Not what are we fasting, right? We mm-hmm. don't think of it that way. And so I would, I would be so curious, like, what would it mean for like an entire church to like fast social media which i know is so cliche at this point but like imagine like your entire congregation not engaging in like a certain you know form you know like like that and how healthy could you get you know in a month or in in 40 days if people you know and studies have shown that you could you get healthier when you do that so like what would happen if a whole community moved towards health by doing something like that you know like it it could it could be you know life altering not just for an individual but for a whole community. Well, and that gets into this idea that Mitzrayim is the name of Egypt, but Mitzrayim has a meaning. It means the narrow place. Mm-hmm. And that when this feast and festival and tradition is engaged with, there's an idea that you are thinking about where you communally and like your church community, your whoever the you is, what is your narrow place that you need to leave this year? What is your narrow place that you left last year? Because in Deuteronomy, he's speaking to the next generation and he's saying, you have a narrow place that you need to remember. You have a narrow place that you need to think about again this year. And every year we return to the conversation, what are the narrow places now? And how does draining down to the essentials help us see those narrow places uh when we give something up what does it open you know all of that conversation about narrowness that makes it about us now not just something that happened to a people group a long time ago yeah i just wanted to follow up also with what jason was saying because one of the first things that came to mind with you know the hopping or hopping around or hopping between is social media and you know 
hopping between all sorts of the distractions of the modern world, which always sort of existed and feel like it's even more intense and amplified now. I mean, you know, unfortunately, there's a lot of smart people in this part of the country in the Bay Area who have dedicated or have put all of their energy into stealing your attention, right? So, and they literally just want your attention to hop around to as many things as possible, as many times as possible. And if we think about, you know, what realistically is necessary for like real sustainable transformation, you got to cut a lot of things out. I mean, if you're being realistic, if it's, you know, if you're trying to exercise more, if you're trying to build other habits into your day, right? Like it really takes this process of like cutting things back in a way and forcing you to grapple with like, okay, what's the bare minimum that I can get by with? What do I really actually need? Um, to be able to engage in this way that like real change is actually going to happen, right? And, and that I'm not just kind of like kidding myself. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the more I've studied Passover, the more that's rung, like has rung really true for me in my life. I'm like, okay, I've tried to like take on a lot of new healthy habits and new things. And without that first process of like clearing away, none of that ever really like takes root in my life okay and then that's what you just named in that process of clearing away sort of connects our feast of unleavened bread to passover so you have seven days of the draining out of the clearing away and you and then you eat i think like correct me if i'm wrong you eat the passover or the passover is at the end of the feast of unleavened bread right it's seven days of unleavened bread and then the passover am i Fact check me, everybody. Nathan, fact check me. Okay. (laughs) Um, So that idea that like you've got some time to spend in this draining out, and now we're gonna mark it, and we're gonna we're gonna do something significant with, and we're gonna think about this Passover moment. Can I just comment too on just the frame of mentality of yearly saying, okay, I was in a narrow place now. Now, where am I going to me that just is reminiscent of like that, of like a growth mindset or like being like a lifelong learner or being someone who's just open to, to new ideas. Curiosity is more your kind of how I operate in the world as opposed to closed mindedness. And to imagine a group of people who are constantly told every year to remember, to see where you've been and how narrow it was, and then stepping into something wider. I mean, the pursuit of Christianity for most people is to figure out how narrow to get it so that you can feel very confident and like secure that all the other ways are wrong. And it's the opposite of, hey, you were in a narrow place. Let's let's get bigger. Like, okay, and then the next year, hey, guess what? You were in a narrow place. Now let's expand. Like, hey, guess what? You were in a narrow place. And it's like this constant growth as in curiosity, as opposed to, you know, let's just create the tightest box with the least amount of opportunity for holes as possible. And then we can feel really good about it. And it's such a different framing of what it means to be human, what it means to be religious, what it means to be a person of faith, um, what it means to be in community, what it means to be a neighbor, right? I mean, if you're in this, let's create this tight a box as possible. Well, the participation in that is pretty narrow, right? Mm-hmm. But if but if you're saying, hey, what does it mean to step out of narrowness and into largeness? Man, that makes room for your neighbor real quick, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's how you turn, you know, enemies into neighbors real quick. Okay, this might feel a little, it feels a little risky to me, but <laughs> do it. I'm, th- I'm, I'm thinking about how often the word deconstruction gets thrown around. We throw it around on this podcast, but I wonder about, this idea that there's an assumption that that's not an ongoing process that's going like the framework if you put that same idea into a framework like Pesach you say okay something has become narrow in your life you look for it and you leave it and then a year later you do that again which says that that you there's a work how does deconstruction become its own narrow place mm-hmm that then has to be left because I feel like what I sort of sense amongst people is there's a way of kind of staying in a certain type of, they're staying in a hopping, this goes back to the hopping that actually has become narrow again. And it takes a new kind of leaving 
and the process is much more ongoing than one and done. Like there's sort of this mindset, like, oh, I just need to deconstruct and then reconstruct something. I'm going to wait to reconstruct until I get it right or it's great versus I need to just try to rebuild something. And then a year later, I'll figure out what to leave from that. I don't know. It just, this feels like a different framework than how we talk about to your point of growth mindset. It feels like there's something in this that feels freer while also having some direction to it still. Like we're making our way out from something and towards something for a reason. I don't know if any of that made sense outside of my head. Well, to me, it makes a ton of sense because you think of like the original call of Abraham is, or Abram is to be a blessing to all the nations, right? Not just to the nation of Israel. And so you can't be a blessing to all the nations if you don't have a willingness to be more expansive and to be more open. And, you know, I think in Christianity, we get the sense that like, Jesus was trying to make a really narrow box out of Judaism or something, but like by no means was that ever the case. And so Jesus is in that tradition of saying, we're here to be a blessing. Like we're here to be invitation. You know, we're here to participate in helping this look more like Shalom. And, and so I, I, yeah, I, I, I think that original call, that original idea, um, is just so important. We miss it. We miss it because we get so focused on like this nation or this church or this way of doing things or this set of doctrines. And it's like, wow, man, how does that blessing anyone else other than yourself? Um, I have two things. I keep rereading it and I could, I, and I think the meat eating happens before the unleavened, like in verse four, you sacrifice the meat, which you sacrifice the first day at twilight. And then verse seven, I think that, I think the order is actually the, I don't know that it means, I don't think it changes any of our conversation. I just wanted to name that as we were like wrestling a little bit with that. Um, there's something about Lent that like has like tinges of this for me. But like when I think of like celebrate, like when I think of like festivals, especially in the tradition, like I think if I think in Easter and Christmas, which are the big, what I think Christian festivals, <laughs> like that is like, we do gather together, like we gather together, but it's like a big feast. It is a celebration. Um, we don't spend a lot of time talking about like what's essential. What do we have to take out? What do we have to like? We don't ask a lot of hard questions. We just celebrate and rely on the history that we've been taught. Um, I don't wrestle a lot other than like with the family dynamics. <laughs> right? Like, you, you know, some, some things that have when families gathered. But I just, um, I would, I mean, it's that thing where like in my head, I'm like, I would actually love to have that conversation. Like to have us, serious conversation about what's something in our life right now that feels like we like either need to get rid of or like I this I want this and I need to make space for it so something else has to go in a communal setting like a like it, even family is a communal setting that feels like it has a different tone to it than what I think I'm accustomed to in how I remember um festivals because um, I feel like Lent, you're not supposed to tell people what you give up. <laughs> Is that right or not? I can't remember if there's like, you shouldn't talk about it. <laughs> well, because it's, well, that goes into all the conversations we, we've had about Pharisees and people misunderstanding what Jesus is saying about Pharisees. Because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, like, don't tell people about your fasting like the Pharisees do. But that's about, like, that's about a whole lot of things. So I'll say I gave up. I gave up social media for Lent this year, and it's been hard. And I decided not to announce it because that's all weird. Like you get like kudos for announcing it. Nobody actually cares. <laughs> Nobody, right? But what, but I think maybe what it is is we announce it kind of weird. Like we make a post about it like that, even though nobody cares. But the real conversation would be right now to say, for me to admit to you how hard that is, how much my finger wants to scroll on something and I don't know what to do with myself. And I'm noticing all of the moments in my day when I used to scroll because I feel the absence of the scrolling. <laughs> and it, and I'm like, oh, I probably do have some addiction sort of things to name here because I feel the pull of it and I miss it. 
And um, that's a much more vulnerable conversation to have than just, hey, look at me, I gave up. Because that's more what Jesus is saying not to do. (laughs) But to say, here's what I'm wrestling with. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's how I'm noticing that was really something to drain out. And and I'm saying it out loud to you means now I'm going to have to wrestle with how or how not to put it back into my life. So that's the conversation we tend to not have, because if I say this out loud, now I'm on a podcast being recorded saying it would probably be healthy for me to have less social media in my life right. after this past. Oh, right. shoot. I just said that out loud. <laughs> so many of us like do the Lent thing. And then when we're done, we're like, oh, we're done. Good. Like I'm back to it. <laughs> the little liquor comes back in, like whatever thing that you gave up comes right back in. Mm-hmm. Um. And it feels like that doesn't mean you're remembering something. It just means that you're being like, you're making a conscious, like, I'm just depraved myself for a minute. And then it comes right back. Mm -hmm. And meanwhile, and maybe this takes us back to Mark again, because Jesus is as much as like, Jesus seems to be wanting us to make this connection to the Passover tradition. Like this is a marked moment in the gospels to say, Jesus is having a Passover meal with his disciples to the point where Easter every year is determined by the date of Passover every year, much to the annoyance of calendar makers, because we're, we like Christmas is clean. It's like, it's always December 25th, clean, quote unquote, like kind of calendar. Whereas because Passover is connected to the lunar calendar and we know that Jesus celebrated Passover, that then always connects Easter to the Passover calendar. And it's so it moves. <laughs> which should hopefully help us have awareness of the Passover tradition. But I think for most of us, that is not what that timing has done. It's maybe just made us annoyed that sometimes Easter's in April and sometimes it's in March. (laughs) But we just don't root everything in the Passover. We just root it of like Jesus. (laughs) In the Christian tradition, we don't root it in the Passover because we don't know what to do with the Passover because we don't actually know what that means for us mm-hmm. <laughs> like do you practice a passover do you not um like there's some complex questions there um and and it messes with the like there's this i don't know there's this part of me that's like well you get taught that like jesus did everything new <laughs> there's like this way that jesus does everything it's everything's new and this is like alluding to like right before he dies he's and his death, like it's in like Passover. That feels like a big connection. Like that shouldn't be something that we're like not familiar with or that we don't actually know. <laughs> it feels like we should we should maybe spend a minute knowing those things. Oh, good. Well, like it's good they were having this podcast then. <laughs> Everybody listening, keep having the conversation. So I I had one thought here just around um uh kind of death rebirth like deconstruction um i mean to me it seems like you know if if we take seriously both you know the symbolism going on in the text and then what it would look like to engage in a way that like we come out of this season actually transformed and like again like not kid ourselves like transformation is really hard like you know if we think back to like what are the things that really change our lives you know, it's, it's, it's tough. So if we think, you know, okay, the, the point or part of this movement is moving from an identification with, you know, Egypt or being someone of a narrow place and moving, crossing over, right? Becoming a new people, a new identity, right? I mean, in the crossing over, right, the Egyptians died. Right. So one way we could look at it is like, okay, yeah, Egyptians die and, you know, the the Hebrews lived. And, but again, it was like there were a lot of Egyptians that crossed over with the Hebrews and there are a lot of Hebrews that stayed. Right. And so it's, it's, you know, the identity is, well, did you leave or not? Right. And like that. And for us too, I mean, it's always like there is a kind of a death that happens, right? There is a death of this identifying with the narrow places in our lives or being a person of the narrow place um so i always you know and i do think genuine change in our lives there is always 
a real letting go, like a real depth of, of something um, that then makes way for, you know, something new or some new way to, to be or inhabit the world or, or some facet of our life. Um, so I just see that as then all of those sort of themes and imagery, and, you know, uh, like crossing the river and that being a mikvah, a ritual bath, right, which is also a baptism. I mean, all of these themes and rivers are coming through and this like first century community is wrestling with, okay, well, how do we continue to make this real for our lives? How do we continue to, to draw this in to then be able to sort of catalyze like real change and identity for our community, right? For us individually and for us as, you know, a, a new community. Um, so I see it all as just even sort of intensifying and, and uh, amplifying, right? Kind of, um, you know, the, the stories that we then see in, in the New Testament. Mm. Well, well like, so much there, but so when we think about it intensifying, or like in the first century, this question of like, what do we, how are we continuing to make this real? Let's talk about the blood because that came up in the beginning and we haven't returned to it again yet of, of back in Mac, Mark 14, which by the way, in verse 12, it verifies what Lisa said because verse 12 of Mark 14, where we began says on the first day of bread, when they killed the, the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover. So you kill on the first day, which actually connects with what Nathan was just saying, I think of like, there's a death that happens first as a part of all of this perhaps could be a way to hold that. But let's think about what Jesus does when Jesus holds up this cup and says it's his blood. Cause there's something different happening there. As we think about this conversation about what is happening to keep this transformative conversation and practice real in first century. This is, leading question to begin with, what hasn't happened yet at the moment of this meal when we're thinking about blood? <laughs> Jesus hasn't died? Yes, thank you for picking up that leading question. We, so if I am at this meal with Jesus, I would not be thinking about his literal blood and his literal death because he has not died. Now we can do a lot of things with that, but that's one of the questions to sort of sit with is how would it, what, what, what might his disciples have thought he was talking about not knowing that he was going to die? The Passover has the blood on the door. Like, I mean, blood's a part of that. I mean, I'm, that's my thought. I don't know if that's right. Right, well, <laughs> I think there's a lot of us who could say, I don't know if that's right, because he's, well, this is a new thing that he's doing. So, okay, maybe right. he's connecting like, okay, now the blood no longer belongs on the door. Now the door blood belongs inside you. Okay, what would that be shifting in this tradition of the meal? What was it to put it outside the door? And what was, what is it to put it inside of you as we think about crossing over and all of these imageries? Right. Well, you kind of lose that. I mean, nobody's being asked to put blood on their doors to remember the Passover. No, like you're not asked to remember that, like that you're, you have, there's elements, but there's nothing that necessarily signifies the blood on the doorpost. Mm -hmm. Um, which is like, reminds me then of like the hopping over, like the blood, like there's something in the, like internalizing something to do with the hopping back and forth but it also is tied with covenant and i know that blood is a part of the covenant like that's there's a lot of imagery of the blood i don't know enough to like spout off some <laughs> but i know that that's a tie there's a tie to the covenant and like jesus saying covenant mm -hmm. there's like there's link he's linking something i don't know what yeah well right because he says it's it's a new covenant this is a blood of a new covenant Jason, do you want to expand on anything you said before now that we're back here? Well, what I would expand on what I was about to say a, a while ago was I, I think this idea of like killing the hopping around would have been in a way a, a yearly, 
I think Jesus probably celebrated the Passover all growing up and was a part of a tradition that always said, we got to stop hopping around. We have to focus. We have to be a part of this community that's going to go from narrow to expansion that has a purpose. We're here to be a blessing to all nations. And uh, Jesus is saying that in this moment and that even what Jesus does in the invitation of the new covenant and what Jesus does with death and resurrection as, as he stated earlier, was never to rewrite the law, to replace the law, to start a new thing, was always to be a fulfillment of what already was. And so there is not a loss of a tradition or even really a changing of a tradition. It's, a, it's, a, it's an, ex, an expansion of it doesn't even sound right. It's just like a, a, a fullness of a tradition. And, and so to me, when Jesus says, now you're going to drink this, it's like, well, yeah, what else are you supposed to do with it, but make it part of you? Like, if it's not part of you, then you're still hopping around. And and like, and it's almost like we're going to not just have this be something that we do, you know, yearly or rhythmically, but now like, we're going to do this all the time. Like, this is now who you are. Like, this is your identity, you know, which is where I think it's um, Paul will later come and, and talk about you know, the new Israel. And, and, and I think it's Jesus who says, you know, we're not going to practice circumcision of the body, but circumcision of the heart. Right. So it's this like kind of this new way of fulfilling what always was, um, for, for the, the whole community, um, or for, you know, a, a larger understanding of what it means to be part of the community. My text has a note that new is not here. Oh, like it comes in, in Corinthians and Hebrews but it is not here. It's in mine. Fascinating. For 1424? Yep. Correct. Yeah, I also don't have new, but. Yeah, it says other ancient authorities add new. So that word new is debated. Oh, what an interesting tidbit. Whether, Whether or not Jesus is saying covenant or new covenant is debated. That's big. Yeah, that I mean, to me, I, I've never quite seen this, but um, you know, there the connection with blood to the covenant is that, like, in finally accepting the Torah on Mount Sinai, right? Uh, Moses like spreads blood on the people, right, to kind of like seal in um, the covenant of the Hebrew Bible of, of the Old Testament. Um, but that would be very quite interesting for. Jesus to do here, right? Because Shavuot or Pentecost, right, is coming up a little bit further down the holiday. But here he's sort of bringing that imagery, right, and and combining it with with Passover too, right? From just like a, a strictly traditional Jewish lens. That the one other thing just to throw out is like, you know, in uh, Jewish seder's today, the the practice of celebrating Passover, you do actually drink, um, a, you know, wine. So wine is a, a sort of a centerpiece of that. You drink uh, four or five glasses of wine uh, at different sort of stages in, in the Passover Seder. And, you know, there is one very specific connection of that wine to blood where you uh normally dip your like pinky or a finger into the blood and you into the wine and you put it on the table right mark marking out the 10 plagues so i don't think we could say that would definitely have been a part of the passover seder you know that they were celebrating in the first century you know the seder as we know it came about you know at least a couple hundred years down the turnpike but you know, there was probably already some associations there too that um, became practice. So anyways, I mean, just a whole bunch of really rich symbols and the way that, you know, I think this community um, was really kind of riffing off them, right? Kind of like, you know, like a jazz solo, right? You're sort of like riffing and and putting things together in a way that's old but it's also new and right i mean i think uh and that's a good model for how to make this stuff meaningful today too what if that is how we end let's think of our religious traditions as jazz (laughs) i honestly love it because like 
you can't be a novice jazz player. You can't, or you can't be like a, an inexperienced jazz player. Like jazz players are like the best of the best. Like they can do anything because they just know music in their bones. And so like for you to say like what we're experiencing maybe here in, in Mark chapter 14 is, is like an expert jazz player who's just like riffing on the traditions and making them come together in ways kind of unheard of is not to like devalue anything. It's actually to say, oh no, this is like how, this is like the best of the best. It's like as good as it gets right here. This is so magical at some level or transcendent, you know, not, not to use like religious terms or anything, but like, I mean, let's be honest, when we go to a good jazz club, like it can be a transcendent experience. So um, I, I love that. That's where you took it, Nathan. That is such a brilliant idea. Well, let's, uh, let's go play some jazz this season. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> this podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. 40 Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a 40 Orchards study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about 40 Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that. Process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.com. Thanks again for joining us on Searching Safety. like I gotta go and get some basics. <laughs> <laughs> Jazz feels like it might be a step away yet. Yeah. <laughs>